The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans, and ahead this hour, Kathy Wood says the U.S. is already in recession, but Fed official John Williams says the economy is strong and recession isn't his base case. Who's right, and how do you invest your money with so much economic uncertainty? Plus, remember the pandemic boom and everything e-commerce? Companies like Allbirds and Warby Parker rushing to go public, but now those stocks have plunged 70% this year, and they're not the only ones. Could a white knight swoop in? We'll explore that. And in earnings exchange, we've got Bed Bath, General Mills, which you just heard about, and paychecks. They're all on deck with results. We'll give you the action, the story, and the trade on all three. But first, let's get to Bob Pisani this hour, as the markets have been moving lower this afternoon, Bob. Yeah, and we have a little bit of a problem with the weak economic numbers that we saw today. Take a look at the S&P 500. We started strong. All 11 sectors in the S&P were positive right at the open. But then we got those economic numbers. And I'm talking about the consumer confidence numbers, the lowest since February 2021. There was some evidence that slowing consumer demand for certain goods were present in that report. Then we had the Richmond Fed report that was also disappointing, well below expectations. He added all up. Market drifted lower throughout the middle of the day. We are just off of the lows. Really the same story over at the NASDAQ. Uh, tech started strong. Semiconductors started strong, but all moved negative. Advanced Micro, NVIDIA, they're your two market leaders in the semi-space. Amazon and Alphabet also started positive and moved lower here. Uh, is it good news or bad news that oil's been up three days in a row? Remember, the bulls want to believe that inflation is moderating. To do that, commodities are a proxy for inflation. They have to show commodity prices are moving down. But oil has been moving up the last couple of days, uh, and so have base metal prices like copper as well when they were moving down last week. So the narrative is a little unclear. You see oil stocks doing quite well today. Travel and leisure stronger today. We've got some good news out of China. Uh, COVID restrictions are lifting a bit. That's moving Las Vegas sands and wind up, uh, as well as the U.S.-based airlines like United and American. Kelly, I think the big problem right now is that old stack inflation story, the concerns about uh, where we get high inflation and low or negative economic growth, those economic reports that we had today, particularly that consumer confidence number, plays into that stagflation theme. I think that's a major, major reason why we're weaker today. Kelly? All right. Absolutely. Bob, thank you very much, Bob Bassani. That data comes as the U.S. may already experience a couple quarters of negative real GDP to start the year. Does it mean we're in a recession? ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood and New York Fed President John Williams both weighing in on that debate this morning on Squawk Box. We think we're in a recession and we think a really big problem out there is inventories, the likes of the, the increase uh, of which I've never seen this large in my career. And I've been around for 45 years. Recession is not my base case right now. I think the economy is, is strong. I, you know, clearly uh, financial conditions have tightened and we're, I'm expecting uh, growth to slow this year quite a bit uh, relative to what we had last year and actually um, you know, slowed to probably one to one and a half percent GDP growth for the year. But that's not a recession. It's a slowdown that we need to see in the economy. 
Well, joining me now with his two cents is a man who's been highly tracking the spending habits of the U.S. consumer, Bill Smead, chief investment officer at the Smead Value Fund. What do you say, Bill? I, I assume you don't think we're in a recession, but what, what do you make of the macro outlook? The consumer confidence numbers have been pretty awful. Well, we're in a bit of a relay race in the economy where the millennials have entered the land of necessity spending and their discretionary spending is being reduced substantially by having to become mature adults and buy houses and cars and do things that 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 are you got to pay those bills every month. And so they don't have 30 percent of their income in discretionary spending when they were buying Apple devices and Chipotle burritos and craft beer like they were six or seven years ago. So we're in that transition right now. But don't, you know, don't cry for us, Argentina. There's 90 million millennials replacing 65 million people. Net, net, the next five to 10 years, the economy will be strong, but that will not be a positive for equity valuation. It probably helps explain why there's also still so much upward pressure, like we saw in pending home sales yesterday on the housing market. Let's talk about a couple of your picks. Now, here's, you know, I'm going to ask you about the home builders. So we mm -hmm. have now, I think I saw the other day, was it KB or one of them trading at two and a half times forward earnings estimates? You still own names like DR Horton and Lennar down about 40% this year. How long are mm -hmm. you going to hang on to these stocks? And as a discipline, how long are you willing to wait for them to outperform and return enough to you that it was worth the wait in the meantime? Well, we started with them at dramatically lower prices. But more important than that is the only way to cure the problem is to build a lot more homes. We, we are not any more well-built than we were two years ago. In fact, the supply chain issues caused... Horton and Lennar to slow the pace of growing last year way down. You had a guy on last week from the Harvard housing studies or something. Yeah. He said, this is the most houses we've built in the last 15 years. Well, guess what? From 07 to 2018, it was the biggest housing depression since the 1930s. It's like Buffett says, when you're running the hurdles, you want a real low bar. Well, that was a low bar. So we got to build a million plus homes off and on for the next 10 years, we're at about 700 or 650 right now. And that's all in front of us. So think of it like owning a private business. You, you know, it, it, so they're so worried about a recession. Would you divorce your spouse that she loved you or he loved you 3% less next year? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. So there's a couple of other things I want to dig into here. And by the way, you mentioned Buffett. He's looking over your shoulder there. I know he's a hero of yours. And his firm seems to have followed you into a lot of these trades, like Oxy, um, another one we've been hearing quite a lot about lately. Bill, when we start to see signs that maybe the Fed is actually going to pull in the reins on the inflation we've been seeing, do you feel like it's time to sell the energy names? And if not, why and how long are you going to hold on to them? Well, Buffett is doing his buying right now, so he's just getting going. Uh, Jerry Jones said in the Wall Street Journal that we're in the first quarter on natural gas. And Harold Hamm is trying to uh, steal the rest of the company away from us minority shareholders because he doesn't think he's being treated well in the stock market. He thinks his stock is worth 30 or $40 a share more than, than it's trading at. And the only solution is to take it private, wait till someday when people get out of their ESG coma. 
Okay, so you're sticking with energy, you're sticking with the home builders. Where in the market, I mean, this, these are classic value plays. We don't talk as much about the financials, but if I recall, there were still a couple of names there that you like. They had big news this week, obviously, on capital return, but they've really still been underperforming and they're very cheaply valued. Again, how long are we going to wait for them to start acting a little bit more strongly? Well, remember, when you're a stock picker like us, you have nothing else to do, right? <laughs> so so the, the fact of the matter is that People are actually not worried about Bank America or J.P. Morgan for for the reasons they should be worried about them. And they are worried about them for the recession worry. Right. Off and on over the next 10 years, the economy is going to be relatively strong because 90 million people are in the primary household formation and necessity spending years. But they've got these huge financial uh, advisor uh, uh, obligations and things that they're doing that people were just rocking and rolling, right? For seven or eight years, the fangs went up every year, interest rates went down every year, asset allocation was a dream. And now it's a nightmare and it's going to be a nightmare probably for another couple of years. So weeding out that side, their commercial bank is gonna do really well on both sides. And, and and it'll be, get more difficult on the financial advisor side. So then quickly to put a button on it, would you agree with a, a comment Michael Darda has made, which is that as the Fed backs off of money creation, real money creation from the banks on the lending side is picking up? In other words, is, is that a positive dynamic you see in the economy and a place you think investors should uh, bet on seeing strong returns? Yeah, the, the millennials waited seven years later in life to leverage up for necessities. And that's going to happen the next three or four years, regardless of what Fed policy is. All right. Bill Smead, the millennial whisperer. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Kelly. He runs the Smead Value Fund. Quick programming note, Guggenheim Global CIO Scott Miner will be on Closing Bell Overtime, 4 p.m. Eastern today with his take on the recession debate. You definitely don't want to miss it. Meantime, a seven-year auction just happened top of the hour. Rick Santelli giving it a thumbs down. Rick, what happened? Yes, another one. This is the last of $133 billion in supply. I gave it a D. Maybe I was being generous. Well, I think what's happening is, is that all that recession talk that brought in all the flight to safety buying seems to have totally dried up. Although one would think by looking at some of the data this morning that it would resurge. Uh, equity markets after being up, what, three, four hundred? The Dow now down three hundred. Uh, what's interesting, look at intraday chart real quick of seven year. It popped, now it's coming right back down. It's really a horse race. Recession versus try to pick a bottom in interest rates. I gave this a D plus for good reasons. It, the one issued market, Kelly, was trading around three and a quarter plus. And it ended up pricing the yield at this auction of seven years, 40 billion of them, was 3.28. So basically almost a three basis point tail, not good. Tails are not good. You don't want a higher yield. That's always a lower price. And if I'm the government selling, we don't want lower price. And here's one really interesting feature. At the last seven-year auction, dealer community took 6.4%, the lowest percentage since 2009. That's a good thing. Today, they had to take triple the amount, 17.7%. That almost sums it up in one sentence. As far as what this means for the marketplace, I'll tell you what it means. It means pay closer attention to the data points. 
because it certainly doesn't seem like they're taking a turn to the upside. Back to you. No, and like you said, you'd think that would be a help, but not today. Maybe we can just blame, you know, that hawkish talk out of the ECB. Rick, thank you for now, Rick Santelli. And that horse race he's describing in rates is taking a whipsaw effect across the, the housing market. Just as rates took a breather in terms of mortgage rates, they could be headed back up again. The 30-year fixed inching back towards 6%. Diana Olick is here with the very latest. Diana? Yeah, that's right, Kelly. Mortgage rates retreated a little bit last week, but then they turned right back around on Friday and are now bumping back up against six. Take a look at the average rate on the 30-year fix. Going back to April, it headed over 5%, retreated a little bit in May, and then surged above 6% in June. That was after that 75 basis point increase in the federal funds rate. And while mortgage rates don't follow that exactly, they are, of course, influenced by it. Mortgage rates loosely follow the yield on the 10-year Treasury. Now, last week, as the stock market recovered a bit, yields came down and rates followed with the 30-year fix back below 6%. Now it's on the rise again, hitting 5.95% just today. And while we know the jump is already hitting housing demand, this morning we got the first hint that home prices may be starting to cool. The S&P K-Shiller National Home Price Index for April Still up about 20 percent, but the annual gain was slightly lower than it was in March. That's the first time we've seen that since last November. Given that this is from April when rates had just crossed over that 5 percent line again, all indicators are that prices will cool much more in the coming months, especially since inventory for houses is now up 21 percent from a year ago. That according to Realtor.com, we're seeing more price drops from sellers as well. And competition is certainly cooling. Kelly. Yep. And just like we saw last time, maybe with rates back on the rise, that'll actually spur more activity to get ahead of it. But we'll see. Diana, thank you for now. Diana Olick. We've got a market flash on Qualcomm. The shares spiking within the past hour on an analyst tweet that Apple may have failed in the development of its own 5G modem chip and so is likely to continue using Qualcomm's. Qcom shares up 5.5%. We should check on Apple's as well. Steve Kovac is here with more on the fallout. Obviously, this would be a big loss, would it, for Apple? A big yeah. embarrassment? So are you ready for some 5G chip history, Kelly? Because I'm going to give it to you right now. <laughs> so back in 2019, these two companies settled their dispute over what modem goes in there. Qualcomm wants a few bucks per iPhone sold because they use these 5G modems. Apple didn't want to pay it. They settled. Apple said, we're going to use your modems for five years. Well, that's 2024. In the meantime, they bought Intel's phone uh, modem business, set up a shop in Qualcomm's backyard in San Diego wow. saying, we're going to develop our own 5G modem. So in five years, we're going to be ready. Now, this report from Ming-Chi Kuo, who's pretty accurate when it comes to yeah. uh, future Apple products, uh, sends that into question. Are they going to be ready in 2024 to put their own homegrown 5G modem or do they keep having to pay Qualcomm? That's where we're at right now. And Apple had high profile success with replacing Intel chips in some of its laptops right. and desktop, desktop, the, M, the M1 chip, M1, M2 Correct. chips. I think they're called rave reviews. They run more coolly, things like that. What would it tell us if they're having more of a problem replacing these Qualcomm modem chips? Well, 5G is very hard. Qualcomm's been doing this way longer than Apple's been doing it. So that, that's why Apple was using some of Intel's products in some of their phones, but they weren't performing as well. So what Apple did is we're going to buy that business from Intel and see if we can improve it and make it just as good, if not better, than the Qualcomm modems. But at the end of the day, they have to use what works the best. So if that means Qualcomm in 2024... 
that's what they're going to do. So in a way, it's a tell about Intel as well. If this is a development pipeline that they plucked from that company. Right. Intel gave up on it, by the way. Oh, yeah. Intel itself gave up. Intel and now gave here's, up and Apple bought it. Yeah. Wow. It, so why is this such a challenge then? I mean, does Qualcomm then, obviously investors would feel pretty good thinking this must be quite a moat that they've developed if neither Intel nor Apple can crack exactly. it. Exactly. Qualcomm has that moat. And you got to remember back in 2019 when this agreement between the two companies and they settled their dispute, Qualcomm shares went up like 20% or something ridiculous like that. And Apple shares fell a bit. So it's, you know, Qualcomm is uniquely positioned to be the only company that can do that right now. Apple's hoping they can at least match them. And if this report is true, if, if they're, they're failing at that, then that's great news for Qualcomm. Very interesting and a great explanation. And not, not Don't too- you love 5G history? It's so interesting. <laughs> I right? do now. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, thank you very much. Thanks, Kelly. Our Steve Kovac. Coming up, the ProShares online retail ETF, ONLN. It's up 1% in June, which is remarkable because it's going to snap a seven-month losing streak. Is a wave of consolidation next for this sector? We'll name some names that could be plucked from the clearance rack. Plus, General Mills is riding a six-day win streak. Paychecks is on pace for its worst quarter since the pandemic. And Bed Bath & Beyond is having its worst first half ever. We've got the good, the bad, and the ugly in today's earnings exchange. And as we head to break, here's a look at oil with WTI nearing $112 a barrel, already up 4% since yesterday. We're back in a moment. This is The Exchange on CNBC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. Consumers went on an online spending spree during the pandemic, and traders snapped up the online shopping stocks. But as things normalize, spending is shifting away from e-commerce back to travel and dining, and shares of online retailers are getting crushed. Just look at Allbirds, down 85% since its IPO and trading at just over $4 a share after opening at $21 in its first day of trade. Warby Parker traded over $54 a share in its public debut. It's now a $12.50 stock, down 76%. And Stitch Fix, trading at just about 5 bucks, is down 91% this year. Hit a fresh 52-week low today. The stock was above $100 last January. And you can see how small these market caps have now gotten. With Cratering valuations is the online retail space due for a round of deal-making. Joining us now is Jan Niffen of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide. Jan, how do you think the story plays out? Well, remember, you know, this DTC retailing may be an asset-like business, but it's really got low barriers to entry, and it really benefited from all that money the government put out there, just like you said, to the consumer. 
and the market share doubled for online over the time period. So they were really benefited. And on top of that, money was free and it was freely available. Now all of that's changing. So I'm not surprised they've all been crushed. I realized when I sent you notes about this, I said, they've been cut in half on valuations. A lot of them have been cut by 75 or 90% right. on valuations. And the, so, the, the lack, I was going to say, the lack of, of noise around them is quite telling. I mean, I wonder, it brings up a point Simeon Siegel had made a couple of months ago over at BMO, which is, is this business model broken? Is it is wholesale, that fuddy-duddy old wholesale, for instance, a stronger business model? I mean, what kind of pivots should we expect to see here? Because it doesn't right now look like there's a lot of suitors bidding. Well, remember, there's not never been a lot of profits made in this area when you look at small DTC players. I mean, yeah, there's some great names like Allbirds and Warby Parker and Bombas and Adormi and Everlane and Mack Weldon, Tommy John, all of that. Those companies, Third Love, even Stitch Fix. I mean, they had a, a good run too, right? But it wasn't driven by profitability in most of those cases, probably all of those cases. It was driven by the fact they could really grow. And money was cheap. And so that all worked. Now we look at it and we go, well, maybe it matters if you make money or not and what the profitability looks like. And a lot of these guys, you know, they all started as DTC only, but like Warby Parker, they're just a retailer today. Right. They, they do a lot or almost all of their business now out of the stores, but they really support it with that online presence. And that's true for all of these too, even the ones that are building stores. But I think, yes, it's time. Like, shouldn't really Mack Weldon and Tommy John be one business? They've got the same customer base. They've got barely scratched the surface on market share. So it's not like the addressable market would be a problem. And they could eliminate a lot of overheads and be stronger. And they may want to be stronger and easier financed going forward. And that could be true for, like, Dormy. You could marry them up with uh, Third Love, and maybe they'd be a stronger business together. We may start seeing some of that stuff, but we may also see some of the big guys step in. Yeah. You remember back when Walmart bought Bombas? I mean, bought Bonobos? Yes. Well, that could they could buy other ones. Target could buy some of these brands. But, but did that go about, well for them? I mean, what's the track record here? And I, I just love the so, irony of how the tables have turned. I mean, the, it, the sexiness of all of these startups, and now we're looking to suitors as, oh, maybe Walmart and Macy's and, you know, can come to the rescue. It's very interesting. No, the answer is you're right. None of it have gone well so far, but we all know they need these brands. I mean, wouldn't Macy's love to own some of these cool brands? Wouldn't Nordstrom's love to own the brands? But what about VF and PVH? Right. Wouldn't they love to own Allbirds, for instance? I mean, those brands have been built into equity value in the customer's mind. And so I can see why they want to own them. And suddenly, if you can buy them at 75% off, 50% off, don't they have to be saying if there's ever going to be a time, now's the time? Final question, though, are these companies profitable enough? I mean, at a time like this with inflation, supply chain pressures, you know, pressure from Wall Street for stock performance and all the rest of it, are they going to turn and say, you know what, now's the time to bolt on what may still be an overvalued and not very profitable but very cool startup? I take your point. They have a lot of sort of equity brand value, but can the suitors afford to take that risk on right now? Well, let's take the other side of that. What if you're Amazon? You could buy all of these right. and it wouldn't make a blip, even if it was highly dilutive. You'd get these great brands, you'd get the growth you wanted, and you'd get paid for it if you were Amazon. Right. So they would 
be willing to buy some of these brands. They've been building private brands. They want stronger brands on their site. They're the kind of company that could do this and never bat an eye. Walmart could too, if they wanted to, obviously. They're big enough that it would never affect their bottom line. We'd never see it. But you have to believe in the future. But if these equities brands and people's minds are worth something and they'll build traffic to your site, that's worth something if you're Amazon or Walmart. You can get a lot of fall away fall off business from that, right? Very interesting. Well, now we know at least uh, some of the, the chess pieces to watch, shall we say. Uh, Jan, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Jan Niffen on e-commerce. Coming up, the dollar is nearing its highest level against the Japanese yen in more than two decades. As Japan's central bank keeps this ultra-loose monetary policy, we'll dig into what's driving the decision ahead and the ramifications for global markets. Plus, back from the brink, retail investors betting that Revlon will be rescued after filing for bankruptcy. Are they right? We'll take a look at the tale of two retailers. And as we head to break, here's the Dow heat map with two-thirds of the names in the red today as we're near session lows. With the Dow down significantly, Nike, Salesforce, and Home Depot are your biggest laggards. We're back in a moment. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Here's a look at markets. I mentioned we are at new session lows, or we're just off those levels. Dow's down 281. Your new low is 322. And we were up more than 400 points earlier today, so some big swings. NASDAQ down two and a quarter percent right now. Energy is the only sector in the green. This all feels very like the first half of 2022 here. Um, Energy right now is leading the way with nearly a 2% increase. WTI crude to 111 a barrel. But keep in mind, energy, broadly speaking, having their worst month this year. That's true for oil. It's true for the energy sector. Nat gas is having its worst month since 2018. And gasoline is likely to snap a seven-month winning streak. So a bit of a counter-trend move here as we're looking to close out the month and the half. It's not just energy either. Commodities like cotton are down 30%. This month, that's its worst monthly performance since 1995. You can see that over on the in the corner there. The semiconductors under pressure as well with the SMH ETF on pace for its worst first half ever. Uncertainty over the CHIPS Act not helping either. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo told Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night that that act has to be done by Labor Day. Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger will be on closing bell today at 3 p.m. He'll have more on the CHIPS Act and the impact that will have on their expansion plans in Ohio. So overall, I've been a tough space here, even with Qualcomm's jump today. Let's get to Christina Parts and Evelis now for a CNBC News update. Christina. Thank you, Kelly, and good afternoon. 
The House's January 6th committee began its surprise hearing about 30 minutes ago. Cassidy Hutchinson, an aide to Mark Meadows, who was the White House chief of staff for Donald Trump, is testifying right now. As her testimony began, she told the panel she asked Meadows about a comment Rudy Giuliani made to her about the president leading protesters to the Capitol on January 6th. I remember leaning against the doorway and saying, I said an interesting conversation with Rudy, Mark. Sounds like we're going to go to the Capitol. He didn't look up from his phone and said something to the effect of, there's a lot going on, Cass, but I don't know. Things might get real, real bad on January 6th. A judge in Texas is temporarily blocking the immediate enforcement of an abortion ban that was imposed back in 1925. An official for the county that includes Houston says today's order means prosecutors can act on the old law until at least mid-July, clearing the way for clinics to resume providing abortions up to the sixth week of pregnancy, until the state's trigger law goes into effect roughly two months from now. But in Tennessee, a court is allowing that state's current six-week abortion ban to take effect. It also has a trigger law that will ban nearly all abortions in a few weeks, unfortunately. Back over to you, Kelly. Christina, thank you very much. Still ahead, three names on deck with quarterly results and near-term options imply one of these stocks could move as much as 20% following the report. The name and how to position on all three right after this. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for Earnings Exchange, where we give you the action, the story, and the trade on three names getting set to report results. And today we've got a few consumer-focused stocks, all set to report before the opening bell tomorrow morning. Let's start with Bed Bath & Beyond, once a high-flying meme stock. It's down 20% in June alone and on pace for its third straight monthly loss. As for earnings, the street will be keeping a close eye on available inventory, supply chain-related costs, and, of course, comp sales. Unlike other retailers, Bed Bath, Bed Bath has said it's struggling with inventory shortages and cost pressures. It's already not expected to post a profit this year and warned last quarter that more pain could be coming. The stock is off 80% from the highs, but there is 30% short interest, according to FactSet. Here to help us trade it today is Quint Tatro. He is founder and president of Jewel Financial. Quint, it's great to see you again. What do you do with Triple BY? You stay away. You don't you don't venture into this name for sure. You uh, you you watch from the sidelines. I mean, you 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 named all the pertinent facts, and I think the biggest one is it's got a 32% short float at this moment. Uh, so you could see a company that has a whisper right now of a negative dollar forty one. If they do anything even remotely close or or better than that, you could see a pretty dramatic short squeeze in in the short term. But the reality is, is this company is riddled with debt, debt to equity of seven, which means for every dollar they own, they owe someone seven. So the reality is it's definitely not a name for us. If you are in this name and you get the benefit of a short squeeze tomorrow, I think you can take your money and run. What about those who say, wow, I mean, that uh, amazing stat about its balance sheet and its indebtedness. What about those who say, you know what, fine, I'm going to jump in with a 30 percent and short this thing as well. Yeah, that I wouldn't. Again, that's dangerous. We saw that with the meme play. I mean, you could get caught on the short side and then, you know, you have infinite loss, unlike, you know, capital that you're putting in on the long side. So you could easily be getting your very first margin call if you were to do that. It, it's not for me either way. Again, a stock like this at these levels, maybe somebody could do some deep dive and find some real value. I cannot. I don't see value here at all. 
Uh, but this is one of those stocks where, unfortunately, it becomes more like a casino, and I just have no interest. Very, inter- very interesting, I was going to say. All right, Quint, thank you. Stay right there. Let's move along and talk about our next game reporting in the morning. It's General Mills. You heard Stephanie Link talking up the pet business earlier. It's one of the stalwart consumer staples plays this year. It's up about 2% this month and on pace for its third straight month of gains in the past four as the staples trade remains an outperformer. And inflation will definitely remain a focal point here. Analysts want update on cost pressures, organic growth, and customer service levels as recession fears grow, and especially their all-important pricing power. Shares up about 6% on the year. Quinn, what would you do with this one? Well, in full disclosure, I own it personally and as a firm. We own it in our dividend portfolio. It pays a nice hefty 3% dividend on a balance sheet for a staple, which is which is relatively nice. Again, compared to Bed Bath & Beyond, which is a, a debt to equity of seven, uh, General Mills is one. So, you know, not terrible. What we want to hear tomorrow is, uh, do they have that price elasticity, right? Do they have that ability to push those prices on to the consumer, or are they starting to see consumer demand you know, dry up as well? That'll be really interesting. But regardless of what the stock does, I think this is a good defensive name in a difficult environment. And if you're looking for a dividend income play, currently, again, about 3%, I think it's a, it's a nice play to put in your portfolio, especially if we see a drop off of tomorrow's report, I think, again, it'd be a nice opportunity to add more to the position. There's so much here when you dig below the surface. I'm looking through some of the analyst notes on it. Didn't realize Haagen-Dazs is a subsidiary of this company. Uh, Some of those locations in China have been closed. They don't think that's a huge pressure. Dumpling plants have been closed there. Lockdown extensions could be a risk. So is there so much optimism around the show? I mean, I, I can't even remember the last time someone came on and didn't have something positive to say about a name like this. Could Forex, I mean, could what, what could derail the story here? Well, it could be the pricing pressures. It, it's real simple. I mean, very similar to what we saw with a, a retailer like a Target or Walmart. We haven't had a staple yet, to my understand, to my knowledge, come out and say, hey, this is really starting to impact us to where we can't pass this on. Remember, this, this business has the ability to, to deal with inflationary pressures a, a lot differently than a general retailer. You, you probably noticed not only are your prices going up in the grocery store, but you probably already noticed that some of your contents of the package you're buying seems to be getting smaller. Shrinkflation. So it's almost a shrinkage yep. effect. So they have unique abilities to pass this on, but it's a staple. We need to buy these products, good, bad, or indifferent regarding the economy. That's why when tough times come, this is a place to go. Now, side the point, if we start to see a economic rebound and things are really good, staples will get hit and they'll get hit hard because this is still a rich stock, 18 times uh, forward uh, earnings, and they're only growing those earnings at 3%. So it's a hiding dividend play. It is not a growth name, not even close. But if you told me, you know, back in January, we're going to have reopening and people are getting out of their house again and we're going to have inflation and we're going to have rates going up and consumer staples are going to be outperforming. I would have said you were crazy, but here we are. All right, let's move along to our last name today, which is Paychecks. That's the nation's largest 401k record keeper. It's on a three-day winning streak. Still, it's on pace for its third down month in a row. They recently announced that they crossed 100,000 401k clients and analysts are watching bookings growth, client retention, profit margins again, and reinvestment. Amazingly, they have also beaten quarterly revenue estimates for five straight years, and the shares have risen on four straight earnings reports. This is not a name we talk about a lot, Quinn. 
No, but we should. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit biased here. I'm, I'm born and raised Rochester, New York, hmm. uh, where Paychex is. Uh, the company's fantastic, unbelievable management. Again, like a lot of companies out there right now, it's not a cheap stock trading 30 times forward and only set to grow those wow. EPS close to 10% next year. But unlike the other names that we've talked about, we're talking about 25% debt to equity. Very, very strong balance sheet. So dealing with all of these businesses as they do with payrolls, which are strong because unemployment is still obviously very low, they have the cash, they have the wherewithal to continue to grow their business, expand their business, look for other ways to generate revenue from these existing businesses, whether it's 401k servicing, et cetera. So this is a name down over the last three months, as you've just said, looking at a whisper number of 83 cents. I think as a trade, you could take this name here. I'm not a, a, a buy ahead of earnings guy ever, but if you're looking to buy a name that you think going into earnings that's been down could get a pop, I like this trade with a stop around 111 here on Paychex. All right, 120 is the price today. Rochester Homer, we'll leave it there. Quinn, thank you very much. Quint Tejo for Earnings Exchange. Still ahead, the yen is sitting near multi-decade lows against the dollar as the Bank of Japan sticks to its ultra-low interest rate policy. Why central bankers there are printing money rather than hiking rates as inflation soars and what it means for multinationals next. And take a look at shares of Carvana. The stock is sinking 16% after Stiefel cut its price target to 34 from 48. They do keep their hold rating. Carvana is down 90% this year. It's trading at 25.49. We're back after this. Welcome back. Central banks around the world are racing to fight inflation, with most hiking interest rates sharply. But the Bank of Japan taking a different tack, and that is taking a toll on the yen, maybe intentionally, with global markets watching warily. Seema Modi is here with the very latest. Seema? Kelly, take a look at the nation's hiking rates right now. We have the U.S., Canada, Brazil, the Eurozone under the ECB. Left behind is Japan, which continues to ease, creating sharp dislocation in the currency market, as you just alluded to. The yen trading at a nearly two-decade low against the dollar. That's resulting in higher import costs and capping the gains for portfolio managers invested in Japan. If you're invested in the iShares MSCI Japan ETF, which does not hedge against the yen, you'd be down 21% over the past year versus the Wisdom Tree Japan ETF, which does hedge against the yen. You can see it's up about 4% during that same time period. City economist Nathan Sheets also says U.S. firms operating overseas... It hurts them. The stronger currency tends to make them less competitive because their dollar-denominated costs now translate into higher prices. So here's what we did. We talked to Goldman Sachs to look at the companies that have high exposure to Japan. Names like Aflac, Prudential, Philip Morris, Edwards Life Sciences. And within technology, applied materials, Apple, with about 8 to 10% of sales in Japan. The real effect will be in the bond market as pressure grows on the Bank of Japan to loosen the cap that it's put on yields. And if that were to happen, that would send yields likely higher. Come on over, Sima. And it's amazing that Apple has 10% exposure to, to the Japanese currency in the first place. But Japan is a market. Sorry, that's a that's to the mar- that's what sure. I mean. But like the, those sales that that I mean that's that's a significant, it's significant. amount. This is a totally. big market for sure. And we know the potential ramifications, or we don't know, but we can guess it how ugly it could get in global markets if this thing suddenly spikes to the upside or downside or what have you. So should we expect the Bank of Japan to give in on yields and eventually 
let them reset to where the market may want them to be right now. So this is a hot topic of discussion right now for those who like to geek out on Japan and global yields. Because one, you could say the Bank of Japan has historically loved to ease. They are fixated on lowering rates and continuing to buy Japanese bonds. So if history was to repeat itself, you would say don't bet against the BOJ. However, pressure is mounting because of what other developed nations like the Fed and Canada and, and Europe are doing right now. So some would say they, at some point they have to lose in that cap and allow their tenure yield to rise. So this is, we don't know what the answer will be, but it's being watched very closely. Yeah, it's such a high-profile gambit. Absolutely. Yes. Seema, thank you. We Thanks. appreciate it. Seema Modi. Still ahead, muni bonds were once considered a fairly safe investment, but lately they've been pretty volatile. What's driving the moves? And it's not just the Fed and whether they can get back on an even keel. That's next. Also, take a look at the solar names. With crude climbing today, the sector, surprisingly, seen some steep losses. First Solar, Sunrun, Enphase, the ETF TAN, all in the red. Enphase, the only name higher this year. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to The Exchange. Only 40% of muni bonds were owned by individuals in the first quarter of the year. That's according to The Wall Street Journal, citing an unreleased report. And this marks a six-point drop from 2020, as institutional investors make further inroads into this corner of the fixed income market. And analysts say increased fund ownership has been a factor in muni's recent poor performance. Joining me now to discuss is Gilbert Garcia, owner and managing partner at Garcia Hamilton Associates. I don't want to call you the bond king of Texas, Gilbert, but, you know, if that's what everyone else wants to call you. You know, like anything else, uh, my parents all, I mean, my uh, wife always tells me, you're not the bond king at 4030 Durness Way, which is my home address. <laughs> well, now but you she might. She puts me in my place. I appreciate you. Uh, you might be taking some fan mail uh, after this. So let's talk munis. Uh, for, we'll make that sure. pivot. What is going on in terms of changing ownership in the space? Sure. But if I could step back for just one second, I really think it's interesting because for the first time in the last about a year, year and a half, we're seeing many of our institutional clients, and we're primarily institutional clients, accepted munis as an eligible asset class in their asset allocation for us. In other words, for the first time, we're starting to buy munis in our overall aggregate portfolios even though there are no munis in the aggregate bond index. Right. So I think that's very telling. And I think it's a reflection of, number one, the interest differentials between munis and uh, normal bond rates has declined. But I also think that in the last two years, prior to recently, you had just a lot of issuance. And I think there's just when there's issuance, it sometimes just creates demand. Well, what we've seen. Re go ahead, please. Oh, well, uh, just to be clear, though, that I'm understanding. Basically, what we've seen is yields rising to quite a level because people have panicked and gotten out of the space. And I have to imagine that's why institutions are interested. Yes. But here's the thing. Up until recently. So what's happened very recently, which really only means uh, essentially since March or so, its rates have risen individual investors have been pulling out dramatically. You've seen sizable outflows out of the muni bond market. And over the last couple of years, we've had very stable inflows. So the outflows have been significant. And I think it's just a reflection of number one, people are starting to get a little antsy about higher rates. I think number two, they're very scared about inflation. And number three, I think you're starting to see a lot of things um, you know, appearing into the market that it's going to start to scare people, whether it's consumer confidence at all-time lows, whether it's uh, business optimism near all-time lows. All of those things are harbinger for what will probably be an upcoming recession. 
So let me boil it down then. And, and it's great to have you here because you can kind of be in any of these fixed income asset classes. And our investors may be one, our, our viewers might be wondering, well, what do I do if I, I, I can now get a little bit of yield in, in something pretty safe like treasuries right now? Where do you think has value and where would you have people stay away from? Sure. First and foremost, I really think that uh, the Fed has been behind the curve. I think they are desperately trying to catch up. And I think out of their desperation to catch up, uh, you're going to see, in our view, us hitting a recession somewhere near the end of the year or early in the first quarter. How deep or how shallow depends upon things they do between now and then. I think the concept of raising rates in big chunks of 75 basis points is very detrimental to the, um, to the markets, especially in light of some of the things I mentioned. Consumer confidence is already low. Oil prices have already skyrocketed. All these things that traditionally has been a harbinger of uh, a recession are already here. And you compound it with money supply, which had been dramatically off the charts in growth during COVID, has not only rolled over, it's now getting into tight and tight areas, even um, tighter when you look at the high frequency data that really suggests that a recession is on the way. Right. So point being, if you had to rank them, where do you think are the best places in fixed income for an individual investor? Sure, I can tell you right now. Number one, I would take advantage of the higher yields that exist today. I think that we've seen either the peak of inflation or inflation is peaking. So I think this is a great time to get into the bond market, number one. And I would go into either high quality munis or I would go into U.S. Treasuries. All right. Because I think that we expect that as the recession becomes to uh, appear uh, very clearly, that you're going to see credit spreads and even the mortgage-backed securities market and other spread product widen dramatically. So I would stay away from credit. We're underweight credit. I would stay away from mortgages. We're underweight mortgages. I like treasuries, uh, in particular, some of the intermediate to longer treasuries. We All think right. the curve is going to get steeper, so you'll be able to get some roll down. And I like some of the high-quality munis. And munis are very interesting because if you look historically – uh, they've had very low default rates, yeah. much lower than the credit market. So I think people are missing out if they don't look at munis at these levels. And that's why they call you the bond king uh, of your neighborhood, at least. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Gilbert Garcia. As long as I'm the bond team at my house, yeah. I'll be all right. <laughs> there you go. Great to have you on today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Please invite me again. We absolutely will. Consider it done. Gilbert Garcia, Garcia Hamilton and Associates. Still ahead, Reddit traders trying to trigger runs in AMC, Bed Bath and BlackBerry. Can they bring Revlon back from the brink? That's next. Reddit traders are setting their sights on Revlon after it declared bankruptcy just about two weeks ago. Shares are down today, but Robert Frank is here with the details. Robert? Kelly, Revlon shares still trading way above that dollar a share range when it announced the bankruptcy on June 16th. Retail investors betting that this is the next Hertz rental car. Hertz, of course, generated that big windfall for investors who bought it right after bankruptcy. Yet Revlon is a very different story. Hertz was hit with a one-time pandemic shock. Revlon has suffered from rising losses and debt for years. That debt now over $3.5 billion. That's more than 10 times its current market cap. Take a look at the bonds. Those are trading well below par. The senior notes at $0.64 cents on the dollar. Other tranches of debt around $0.13 cents on the dollar. That means 
that bond investors think there is very little chance of getting paid in full. They have to be made whole before shareholders get anything. Billionaire Ronald Perlman, he controls 85% of the stock. So there isn't a lot of stock out there to trade. The mean crowd has added $250 million to his net worth with this share increase, but bankruptcy experts say he's likely to get wiped out in this bankruptcy. A recent post on Wall Street Bets saying, quote, let's push REV to the moon, $12 and up. Kelly, right now it's headed back down. Wow, great layout and huge stakes for him personally as well. Robert, thank you very much, Robert Frank. That does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.